Good morning, Koinonia Okotoks youth. Thank you for joining us as we go through our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so this morning, we will be in the book of Ecclesiastes, continuing our series called Meaning. Uh, we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we will once again be focusing on accomplishments. So we can conclude so far in this journey that there is nothing, that there is no meaning apart from God, right? Solomon tries again and again coming back to the, uh, coming back to what he's already searched through. Uh, and we know so far that life is short that it is set on cycles. We know that uh, that wisdom doesn't bring meaning as he's searched through, and, and neither does pleasure. Uh, we briefly, last week, got to see Solomon bringing God into the equation. Now we will see him diving back into this life apart from God. So, for those of you who are taking notes, the points for this message are as follows the comfortless oppression or comfortless oppression envied success someone to share with and passing fame and those of you who uh once again taking notes the title for this message is what good are accomplishments we're gonna pray and then uh, we will dive on in so heavenly father i thank you for this morning lord i thank you for this book uh, I thank you for everything that we've been learning through it, Lord. I just pray that you continue to help us see this through the right perspective. Lord, not looking at it uh, apart from you, but actually looking at it with you in the equation entirely. Uh, we don't have to be uh, atheists. We don't have to see that viewpoint. We can see the hope and joy that we have in you. Uh, so, Lord, just help us as we go through the series to continue to look at it with your perspective in mind. Lord, I pray this all in your name. Amen. So the first point is comfortless oppression. It says in verses 1 through 3 uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praise the dead who are already dead, more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has, never seen, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. So, as we saw last week, Solomon briefly got this escape from under the sun thinking, but... Then he considered the injustice in the world, and that led him back into the under the sun thinking. So this first point is a continuation of the same thought we looked at last week. Remember, his thought was, how can God be in control when there's so much evil in our world, with the wicked prospering in their sin, and the righteous suffering in their obedience? He goes on here to talk about the oppressors and the oppressed having no comforter. He says, and look, 
the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there is power, but they have no comforter. We, the righteous who are suffering in our obedience, have no comforter. Right? Does that sound right to you guys? Does it sound like we, we who are, who are uh, obedient in our, of our life after God have no comforter? When we're obedient and we're suffering for it, we have no comfort. If we are oppressed, as Solomon states, then we have no comforter. That's his view. Now, the fact that this world is lost and broken is there. That's, that's true. But Solomon is wrong that we have no comforter. Now, this past Friday, uh, we had youth, and we were studying through uh, the Beatitudes, we got to the Beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if we are suffering in our obedience, and if we are being oppressed, then we will have comfort from God. There's also the fact that we are told in John 16, verse 33, in the world, you will have tribulation, you will. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We have eternity to look forward to. Where there will be no more oppression or suffering. It says in Revelations 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. So yes, there will be oppression on this world. And there always will be. Now, I know it's gotten pretty far into this first point about oppression. If you don't know what oppression is, it really is just... A good example is probably like slave masters. How like they, they whip and they beat their slaves. The slaves are being oppressed by their... Slave masters. When you're being beaten down, when you're going through suffering, you're being oppressed. Right? So, this world will always have oppression. What you can consider it nowadays is restrictions and mandates. There will, right now, that is our oppression. Right now. Right? And there's always been oppression on this earth. You can look back, back way before you guys were born to, to the world war as we're looking, as we're uh, heading into Remembrance Day week, the week of Remembrance Day, the World War. People left their family, their lives, their quote-unquote normal life, to fight in a war for freedom. They went through serious oppression and suffering. Right? Then you... Look through all the different health scares that have gone on through the world. You had uh, the SARS virus, the H1N1, uh, now COVID. That's just in this lifetime. And then you even look back at, uh, before you guys were born, to Y2K, which was, um, which was it? it was the world's gonna end, 2012, the world's gonna end. Like, the amount of different 
oppression, like different things in this world that take away normal life, people were oppressed and suffered, right? This world will always have oppression. Normal life is not a normal, it's not really a thing. Comfortable life is what people think normal life is. But you go through different seasons of comfort and non-comfort, right? So, yes, there will always be oppression in this world, but we have hope that is based around comfort. So, yeah, we have a comforter. We are not oppressed with no comforter. This thought of injustice led Solomon to envy those who are already dead because they don't have to face injustice and oppression. He took it one step further saying, better than both living and dead is not existing at all. Phil Gremreich can put it this way. Uh, he said, given all the depressing things that happen in this depraved world, maybe we are better off never having lived at all. If we had the certainty of our own salvation and knew that justice would be done, then our lives would be full of hope and joy. But when we have our doubts, like the preacher often did, it is tempting to think that we would be better off we don't have to look at it from the same perspective as Solomon. We have a comforter. We know we have hope. This should all bring us joy. We should look at it as we are the comforted oppressed. And not, the, not, as, not as comfortless oppression. Comforted oppression, not comfortless. It all depends on your perspective. We, it's not better off that we never existed. Because we have hope and joy. Moving on to the next point we see in verses 4 through 8. Again, I saw that all that, again, I saw that for all the toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labors. Nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. So Solomon comes right back around to success. You know, just like you, we learned in the past about how, you know, you go, I'm going to go look for my lost phone in my bedroom. Oh, it's not there, so it must be in the living room. Oh, it's not in the living room. Well, it has to be in the bedroom. He's kind of circling right back around. He said, uh, right back, rack, circling back around to success. Solomon already saw that uh, it was vanity and grasping for the wind. It says that in Ecclesiastes 2.11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind 
there was no prophet under the sun. So having already seen this, he comes to at it from a different angle, saying, I saw all the to saw that for all the toil and every skillful work a man is envied by his neighbor. He sees that envy follows success. Right? There will always be people who envy your success, even if you worked really hard to get where you are. Now it's kind of funny to me at least. I don't know if it's funny to you guys. But it's funny because we work hard to get what someone else has. Right? I'd be like, oh my gosh, that guy has a mansion and a car. I'm not going to say this is you guys and this is necessarily possible or something you should strive for. But uh, well, that person has this beautiful house and a great car. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to get that same thing. And you work really, really hard and you get it. You envied what he had and now you finally got it. And then somebody else looks at you and is like, oh, I really want what they have. And they work really hard. It's like a circle. Right? They envy what they have and they work hard just to get what someone else has. Now we're commanded in Deuteronomy 5.21 not to covet. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, coveting is envying. It's, it's, it's lusting after. It's wanting what they have. Now, we shouldn't be envying others' success. Even if we look at it and work really hard to get what they got, what they had. Right? We need to focus on what God has for us. Right? We need to look at what He wants has for us to do and do it to the best of our ability, using our talents, our skills, what God has gifted us with. Don't compare your situation with another person's. You are placed where you are for a reason. Right? Five through, and just to sum up uh, five through six, which talks about like folding his hands, consuming his own flesh, uh, all that. Uh, I want to sum it up this way. It says, do not be lazy. And do nothing while desiring what others have. In doing so, you will waste away. It is better to have less and be content than to have more and constantly be grasping for further success. Solomon then comes to this thought of what good is my success if you can't pass it on. Remember, he already looked at the problem that he couldn't keep his riches and his accomplishments. Now he's looking at the opposite. He's examining the thought of a life of hard work and success when you're alone. He has neither son nor brother. He is alone without a companion. Now that does not sound like Solomon because we know Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And if you do the math, he should have at least one son and he probably had brothers. So, uh, and, and, we had, and we know about the ones that who took over the kingdom, right, Boehm, not the brightest person in the world. Right? So, this isn't Solomon. It's not talking about his own life. He's, he's trying to draw a picture. Right? He sees this work that he toils for, 
and 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 deprives himself as good uh, deprives himself of good as vanity and a grave misfortune so what is there to be envied in this picture he works and works and works depriving himself of good things and it's all vanity it's all for nothing there's nobody to give it to so what's it, what is there to be envied in this picture nothing absolutely nothing this and, and and this may be the neighbor that we envy that other person that we envy not necessarily for you guys because you guys are in school and stuff but like when you get older you may this, you may have a neighbor who's literally just like working non-stop who works and works and works but can't pass it on it dies with him so we need not be envious of what we don't but we need to be content in our situation. Okay? Don't don't be envious. Don't take the perspective of envy. I want what that person has. I want what that person has. I need it. No. We need to be content with what we have. Moving on to the third point this morning. It says in verses 9 through 12, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if the, if they fall, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may overpower the other, but one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So Solomon starts off by stating the importance of friendship. Right, as he just went through this picture of a guy who had nothing. And no one to share it, no companion. Now he's moving to friendship. It's an important thing. He says here that two are better than one. Following it up with examples to support this theory, this point, this importance. He lifts off four reasons why we are to be, why two are better than one. The first one is work. The second is walk. Third is warmth. And lastly, it's watch. So the first one is work. Now, a while back, we got to help out a, a couple at the church, uh, a lady at the church. Her name was Hazel. We got to help her move. And I don't know. Uh, I don't remember how many of you guys were there. I think it was just two of you guys. Uh, but how easy would it have been to move the couch all by yourself? You know, you got one person, and you're like, I'm going to do all the moving. I'm going to lift all the beds, the the couches, the nightstands, the dressers. I'm just going to do it all by myself. Does that sound easy? Absolutely no. Right? That would have been extremely difficult to do. Right? You get more people, and if you have two people lifting a couch, things go quicker. You take off 50% of the workload. 
right? Now, if I look at my job, now my job isn't super labor intensive all the time, so it's easier times for me to be alone because I'm just sitting at my computer. I need to do my stuff. But I can tell you this, if I was alone in the warehouse, there's absolutely no way I would get everything done. Absolutely no way. I need the employees that I have to get the job done. Working together, having another, at least another person is easier. It helps so much. Right? When you have someone to help, things are made easier. I don't know if you guys know the saying uh, or have ever heard the saying, the sum is great, will be greater than the parts. But basically, when you are working with another or even a team, you will always be more successful if you work together. Right? When you all know your part, what, what part you have to play, and you do your role and everything to the best of your ability, and everybody does their role to the best of their ability, the sum will be greater than its parts. Right? And then also you're not envious with when one person gets the spotlight and you don't. Uh, but the sum is always greater than its parts. So when we look at work, two are better than one. Next, we see walk. Now I want you guys to have the right idea here. The landscape back in this time was not what we have here. There was no paved roads. There was no level sidewalks. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy to walk on. Uh, think of going through the mountains in an, an un, uh, unwalked place. Untouched land. And walking through that kind of difficult. You could even think of like a dirt path that you walk on a hike. So, at that time, it was not uncommon for travelers to stumble, fall, hurt themselves, like break their legs, break their arms, when falling over something, or, or even die. Because if you're walking alone, not, not a great time. Right? Because you could walk up this hill, and all of a sudden it's like a drop-off, or the, the ground becomes uneven and you trip and fall, or there's a giant rock in, like, it's, it, who knows the landscape, right? So what we here can learn as believers is we need to have someone we're confiding in because we tend to fall. We tend to mess up. We tend to stumble spiritually. I know I'm not perfect, right? So do you guys have that person who's helping you when you fall, right? Someone you can lean on. Right? The whole point of this is that when you stumble, you fall, when, you're, when you have another person, you can lean on them. They can help you back. If you fall into a pit, they can help you out. Two are better than one on this walk we call life. The next one we have is warmth. Now, uh, when you have a second person, you can keep each other warm. Right? I love how he asks, how can one be warm alone? This question is kind of a predicament in and of itself. Right? I want to continue that, that thought of a journey, like you're going from a walk from Okotoks to Calgary. 
or Calgary to Okotoks. Now, uh, first off, quickly picture, there are no major roads. So that's about a nine-hour nine hour walk. Uh, that's a day's journey uh, in that day. Uh, so it's kind of a predicament. If you're doing that journey all by yourself, a way to keep warm would have been pack another tunic or a blanket. But the problem is that would increase your workload, making it more difficult. Now, if, now but if you're not alone, you can easily bring another blanket because you can split the workload. There's another person. Makes it easier. Or, you know, you guys could cuddle. As it literally says there, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Right? So, so warmth. We need another person. Two are better than one. Once again. Lastly, we have watch. Now, when you're alone, you have no one to watch your back. Right? One is easily overpowered, but two can withstand. We see in Samuel, 2 Samuel 13, uh, a story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And his armor bearer who defeated the Philistines. Just the two of them. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the entirety of it. But to sum it all up, Jonathan went to, uh, the Philistines were a massive threat and Jonathan was like, hey, to his armor bearer, I want to go out and fight them. And they literally went out and defeated the entire army of the Philistines single-handedly. Right? When we have someone watching our back, it is better than being alone. When you got someone with you, you can withstand. Now, you may not be able to take down a whole army. They also had God on their side. But we need someone watching our back. Right? Just like we need someone to help us when we stumble and fall, we need that person to watch our back. Two are better than one. Now, all of this to say, all this says that two are better than one. Solomon finishes off by saying, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Which means three is even better than two. You look at one cord and you can easily take an, uh, a knife and just cut through one. Right, But when you twist it with another, not as easily broken. When you do a, do a braid, it's even then not easily broken. Right? When we spend all our tr time trying to accomplish it, to accomplish things, and we have no one to share it with, we are that single cord, easily broken, and then, you know, the fact remains that life is meaningless. Because what are you, what are you, where are you storing these? The treasures that you have. We need another person. And you need someone to share life with. Share the ups and downs, the accomplishments. We as believers need to be doing what Proverbs 27, 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so man 
sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need that person. Two are better than one. We need that person for work. We need that person for our walk. We need that person for warmth. And we need that person for, for a watch. We need another person. When you have that other person, accomplishments don't seem as meaningless. Moving on to our last point this morning. We have the passing thing, or passing thing. It says in verses 13 through 16, Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who walk, who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stand in his place. There is no end to all the people whom he was made king over. And yet those who come after will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now, I want to summarize this little story he tells here this way. It says, uh, uh, well, I'll summarize it this way. There's a poor and wise youth, one person, one youth, a poor, wise youth who was in prison. He got out of prison and became king. This young man was born poor, but has now become rich. And the old king was rich but that didn't make him any wiser, so he might as well have been poor. This young man got out of prison, was in prison, but got out and took the throne. And the old king was imprisoned in his stupidity and lost the throne. This young man was, ve was now very popular and had millions of people under him. Yet the new generation that grew up with him rejected him, and appointed someone else to be king. In this story, I want, I'm partially reminded of the story of Joseph, uh, who was a slave and rose up in the ranks. He was a slave because his brothers sold him into slavery. He got bought into, uh, as a slave into Potiphar's house, who where he rose up in the ranks, uh, had an encounter with Potiphar's wife, got sent to prison. Uh, a lot of things happened in prison. Uh, one of them, one of the things was uh, a couple people who were there and had dreams, and one died, one lived. When he finally got out of prison, he was he was able to answer interpret a dream, which then led him to be in charge of all of Egypt. Now, if you want to read the story, uh, most of it is found in Genesis chapter 39. Um, but I believe it starts earlier than that, and then it goes later than that. I believe it goes to the end of the chapter, or the end of the book. I might be wrong on that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but the whole thing here is that fame comes and goes. Now, there's a saying that's been around for a while... It's part of a quote from a guy named Andy Warhol. Um, the quote is, 
in the future, we will all get our 15 minutes of fame. Now, this, that, that, what he's saying simply means this. We will all get a very short time in the spotlight in which afterwards we will be forgotten. Now, it's kind of crazy because when Andy Warhol said this or wrote it down, I can't remember which one it was, he had no idea about YouTube, about Instagram, about TikTok. And Facebook. Where people literally get their 15 minutes of fame. They get their viral videos out there. And they're here today forgotten tomorrow. We all get our 15 minutes of fame. But it's very short. Now the point in all of this. Is that we are not to be chasing fame. Why would you chase something. That will be so short lived. The king here was replaced by a younger, wiser man who, who then was replaced by the next generation. It all comes back to this life, to, the, to this life being temporary. Why would I chase the reward here when I can wait and get it in heaven for eternity? And, and just so you guys know, we get our 15 minutes here and... Eternity is just a little longer than 15. A little. So I'd rather get it in heaven. Get that eternal gift. Eternal reward. He ends his chapter saying this. That it's vanity and grasping for the wind. Which at this point is kind of like his signature sign-off phrase. You know, it's like if I was to come up here and teach messages every morning instead of doing like a benediction at the end of like, you know, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make it the Lord, may the Lord make, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Instead of doing that, it's just like, life is meaningless. Life is vanity and grasping for the wind. Amen, Lord. And then just enter into prayer. That's kind of like what he's doing now. It's like, it's so common in his messages. In his chapters here. So he he sees no meaning in chasing fame. That's what that's that's the point of this this point. He sees no meaning in chasing fame because life is so short lived. And all fame is is short lived. So on this search for meaning, he can now cross fame off the list. Because it's vain. So my question to you is, are you chasing fame or God? Are you storing your treasures in heaven or on earth? Something to think on. So, in conclusion this morning, Solomon has once again taken a look at accomplishments. Right? And sees that it's vanity. He started by by once again looking at injustice and impression, concluding that we have no comfort. Right? He then moved on to the fact that all accomplishments we have will always be envied. 
and that we will always envy what others have. This led him to take a look at friendship and how being alone is vain because you have no one to share your accomplishments with. Two are always better than one. And three are better than two. And he wrapped it all up with fame and how short-lived it is. Are we chasing the passing accomplishment of fame? Or are we chasing the eternal God? Accomplishment will never yield meaning. God is the only place where true meaning will ever be found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the study. Lord, I, I thank you that even in this meaningless world that we live in, there is hope found in you. That there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That even if we're being oppressed, uh, even if we feel alone, even when we envy, even when fame comes and goes, no matter what it is, there's a light and a hope at the end of this tunnel that you are there. That eternity is on the other side. So help us to keep this right perspective. Help us to truly seek after you, Lord. And I want to pray for the youth as they go into this week, Lord, that they, they really put you first. Lord, may they, they look through the right lens, right perspective at this world, Lord, and see the lost and ache for Lord, I just pray this all in your name.